everyone. We already lost people. I haven't even started preaching yet. Jason's used to it. Oh, that's right. That's the whole sleeping thing you're talking about there. Usually when we have visitors and I have a chance to talk with them afterwards and they thank, they thank me, I say, I, I thank them for staying awake. <laughs> or when I visit uh, uh, someone else's church, usually someone I know, I'll, I'll be quick to tell the pastor some of the best sleep I ever got. Thank you. <laughs> Just looks at me, what? When the church I was an elder at before I... Um, before we planted, there was a, another elder that sat on the front row and he would close his eyes so as to attune his ears. He swore he wasn't sleeping, but it was the most off-putting thing in the world to look over this guy. Every time he look over, he's... That's what I do. So, Here's a good and, hint when you know they're not really listening when they rest their head on That's right, yeah. It's like, well, look at their Bible. He said he was just trying to tune his ears, but I, I still couldn't figure out why slobber was coming out of his mouth. I was, I was drooling and slobbering. But, and that reminds me of the time I was in the military, actually, uh, and I heard a story about um, uh, a young private who fell asleep on guard duty. And he woke up as he heard the sounds of footsteps. Uh, and, of course, those steps belong to a big man, you know, a colonel, a general, the time commander, or something like that. He had enough wherewithal to quickly say, Amen. <laughs> and he, and he, lifted his, he lifted his eyes up, and they, they couldn't do anything. I thought he was praying. So, uh, all I'm saying is, if you close your eyes this morning, just at some point say, Amen. Because I'm already aware that you're sleeping. And when you realize you've been sleeping, just say, Amen. There's never a wrong place to interject an amen, by the way, just so you know that. Amen. 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 So, uh, Kirsten and I are, we're really blessed to be here. We've wanted to get over your way for some time. And we were blessed a couple summers ago, somebody let us stay uh, in, in a home in Ned's Head. And I think we were coming up from Georgia or something. We usually try to get lost for a couple weeks. Uh, and vacation for us looks like the, the Lord opening a door. Literally opening a door, like. Somebody lets us stay at a house. We just don't have the financial means by which to pay for a vacation. And so, really, you can call it ministry philosophy or you can call it just being broke. I mean, all, all that we do in the city all the time in terms of Resurrection City Church, people ask us, oh, what can you pay? And I say, between zero to free, you pick it anywhere in there. And so that's sort of how our family operates as well. We just believe God God will provide. So we're not, we don't have money to shell out. And if we had money to shell out, we wouldn't be shelling it out because we think God would give us free. And so we've learned to ask. Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. And James says, we often ask for the wrong motives. And so our motives are to honor God, to stay faithful to the task that he's given us. And, and you're right. I mean, church planning in itself is hard. Uh, Jason and Meredith are aware of this. But church planning in a urban, post-Christian context, it, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly hard. Uh, the days that I think about quitting, I don't think about going to a mega church. I think about just going down the Bible Belt where the girl at 7-Eleven who has a t-shirt on that says, I love Satan, still says, God bless y'all. Have a great day. You know, so if I, if I meet somebody in our neighborhood and I have a conversation, I, I introduce myself uh, on the, at the front end of that conversation as Pastor Dave, purposefully saying pastor. And if on the back end, that uh, individual does not return the word pastor, it's not because they forgot to call him pastor. It's, it's nine out of ten times they're just opposed to the church. They're militant. We're the bigots, that sort of stuff. So I get emails, you know, weekly from one of my old meetings. We got to stop. We got, we got, you know, we got to stop these bigots from telling us what, you know, that there's two genders. And I mean, you know, just kind of crazy stuff that you hear about. That stuff happens all the time. That stuff's very real. Uh, so it's it's a hard context. 2.7 million people in Chicago, third largest U.S. city, and uh, we think Chicago's only about two percent evangelical, two percent Bible believing. So you know that our neighborhood is only two square miles. And we have about 42,000. Image bearers living in our two square mile neighborhood, and I'm honest to tell you that that's like 42,500 too many for my personal liking. Uh, I wouldn't, I, I listen, I could live here, you know. So, uh, in fact, God's done a good work in my heart. Most of my ministry in terms of church planning has been trying not to have the ministry of Jonah. Jonah tells us Nineveh was a three day journey by foot, this guy only walks up a day and a half, and then he parks his butt outside the city and he wants God to burn it down. He actually thinks this is what God will do. And, and, of course, God doesn't. God shows his mercy and saves this wicked city. Uh, I've been, tr- I've tried not to have that ministry, like not hating the people that God's called me to, right, because they're rude, it's loud, it's noisy, people are on top of people. 
But God's a, God has done a good work in our hearts. When we drive to the south somewhere and I preach or speak, uh, I, I, I have always known or known for some time the sin of greed, the sin of pride, the sin of lust, but I never knew the sin of covetousness. And I learned that. So uh, we could come to a place like this and, and my heart would covet and want something quiet and greener. Uh, and that's what would happen if we go somewhere in the south, like Kentucky, wherever. And I would repent driving home. Just because we, we maybe had dinner with a couple from a church and they had a backyard. And we don't have, we don't have, we didn't have a backyard. We have a backyard now. It's 10 feet by 30 feet. It's concrete. And it pitches towards the house. But, but just learning to surrender to Jesus and trust Jesus and, and asking Him to work in our hearts. So I think a lot of times we think that living in the will of God is, is easy. It's often, it's often very difficult. There's a great joy and a tremendous blessing in being in the will of God and living in the will of God and working in the will of God. So we know we are exactly where God wants us. And God's doing good things at Resurrection City Church. So first of all, I just want to thank you for your generosity and helping us get this house, helping us take care of an issue with a roof and all this sort of stuff. We had just surrendered to the Lord years ago uh, our desire to have a home. Really wrestling with, is that a golden calf? Sort of this American dream, the golden calf thing. Why do we need a house? Um, it wears our identity, a lie, all that sort of stuff. Um, and just just satisfied in what God has given us. And, and man, God just, just, he just made it happen. I, I, if I was a banker, I wouldn't give me a loan. So I don't even know how it happened other than tell you that God did it. And uh, we, I got a veteran's loan. We, we thought we couldn't afford a listing or a selling agent. And uh, so we just worked it out with the couple that we bought it from. We thought we had to pay $750 for uh, a mortgage attorney, I think that's what you call it. We sat there, you know, if you're a homeowner, you sign your signature for three hours, then you look like yours. By the end of it, you're signing Lee Harvey Oswald. You're just like, screw on anything. Uh, and we had our checkbook there, ready to go. And they said, well, you've got a house. Shook our hands. And we walked out to that blue minivan parked out front that God had blessed us with some years earlier. Um, and we didn't pay a single penny to get into this house. And we just wept in the van and praised God for his grace. And of course, all of that whole deal is a week, like a week or two before we're supposed to close on the house. We got the VA report back from the inspector saying the roof had failed and all that sort of stuff. And I think I just had a conversation with Jason and said, will you pray, pray for us? We think God's giving us this house. And I actually uh, talked to my buddy and I said, hey, we think God's giving us this house. Do you mind if we get it and start working on it before it's even ours? And you want to talk about one of the biggest faith things I've ever done was to remodel an entire house. I'm painting walls uh, for a house that's not yet mine. And I'm thinking this thing could fall through. They could find out we're broke. I mean, the, the gig's up. You know, I, I'm painting walls. And I'm thinking, okay, God, okay, I trust you. So I think he just thought we were going to paint it. We did this, uh, The whole month of July was 100 hours a, a week. Mission teams all day, and then working on that house from 5 to 2 in the morning. And unbeknownst to us, the first week of June, we had a church come in with a 100-person youth choir and about 35 adults. And they work all day on a Tuesday at this Lutheran church. So they're Baptists, Southern Baptists, working at a Missouri Senate Lutheran church. And then the choir performed Wednesday. And I'm always figuring there's church kids in there, just like me, that grew up in the church, unregenerate. So I'm hammering with the gospel. And then to our surprise, Kirsten has Azariah in the belly. The boys are with us. Uh, we're standing up front, and the uh, minister of music had uh, all these kids, row by row, stand up. And I, I don't know if I told you all of this, but... This is the first week in the gym. We didn't even know we were getting a house. 100 kids walked by, dropping a gift card in a tin bucket. Each one kid was, sorry, we're having a gift card. <laughs> so there's like 99 <laughs> gift cards. Uh, and we just filled that bucket with our tears. I mean, just to, to feel love like, like that. So we didn't know we were getting a house. We got all these gift cards. That's the first week of June. By, the, by July 4th was the day we started working on this house. Those gift cards paid for me to remodel that house because they were the Home Depot, Lowe's. We have a Menards. I don't have that down here, but Walmart, things like that. I mean, I literally did remodel the entire house. Uh, and we had two boy, brothers from that mission team came in. Some folks paid for them to come up from Montgomery, Alabama. They worked in the house all week for free with me. 19-year-old or 21-year-old. I mean, they're showing me pictures of the, the 10 bucks they just shot a week ago. You know, some good old boys. And they just worked and... Free, free labor, so they're, they're working, we're there painting and sanding and so on and so forth. And um, 
yeah, I we put six hundred dollars out of our own pocket to really just remodel cosmetically remodel the, the entire. No, we didn't remodel the bathroom. I just put a pink flamingo curtain, shower curtain in there that called good. But but even in that, we hadn't look what God was doing. I mean, all these gift cards, you know, and those gift cards actually helped pay for our vacation. I mean, wait at Subway. You know, it's a whole vacation. We're like, oh, well, we got a Wendy's gift card. Let's see, Terry, that Subway. The Lord provided, the Lord provided. And even at that, the hardwood floors were really nasty. I, I priced them about three grand. I thought, oh, okay, maybe I'll rent a sander. Maybe I'll try this. And boy, you can really mess it up if you never sand it. Just let that thing sit for a second. It's going to eat in your floors. And all I can tell you is God put it together, two Romanian guys in their 60s. God bless them. Did my hardwood floors. I mean, I got bad knees. I'm in my 40s. Um, $910. The same week, a mission team said, here's $1,000. Just gave it to them. Our floors are taken care of. These guys blessed us, got a roof. Uh, we got some money left over to get a brand new stove. My in-law said, who are not believers, we'll give you up to $1,600 to get refrigerated. I just laughed because the words up to were funny. Like, I'm going to spend all your money. So we got, a ref- <laughs> we, got a, we, got a, we got a refrigerator. We got a good deal with a refrigerator and a, and a stove. And all that to say, God just provided and provided and provided. Uh, and of course, we actually moved in the house two days before we closed on it, which was weird. Laying in the bed, going, "That's really not mine yet. Hope things don't fall apart." Uh, but God just continued to show His grace in very tangible ways, like just loving us, just reconfirming, "You're here. You're here. This is what I want you. I'm going to provide for you." And that's what God's been doing. So we have three churches and my aunt that support us, and you guys are one of those three churches. So we pray God for it, for you. I pray for you in my pastoral prayer. Uh, nearly every Sunday, uh, you're on a rotation. I mean, we're just praising God for you. Our church hears of your name. And so we've wanted to get out of your way for a while to be with you on Sunday. So this is a blessing. So thank you for having us. And thank you for your generosity. Thank you. It, it, mean, it means a lot to us. You help us stay on the mission field. So Chicago is a great city. And there's a great gospel need there. One-fifth of Chicago's foreign born. About 600,000 people. The nations live in our neighborhoods. And uh, man, we got two Ukrainian couples coming to the church now. We do this thing now where they read scripture in their language. They have a scripture reading every Sunday, and then they read in English. That's beautiful. It just expands your heart. So you hear Portuguese, you hear Ukrainian, you hear English, you hear Spanish. It's cool. So God's God's growing us in His grace. We have a lot a lot of unbelievers. People have never heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they think Calvin's the guy. Some Jones on the corner. So. Uh, Pray for us. We need help with discipleship. We need mature believers to partner with us. And so, pray for us. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Chapter 10 is uh, this incredible chapter. Jesus is really just unpacking um, the reality of him uh, of, of himself being our shepherd. So, if you, if, you, if you know Scripture at all, you know throughout all the Old Testament, God likens himself to a father, and God likens himself to a shepherd, his people being his sheep. Think of Psalms 23, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I'll fear no, ev- uh, fear no evil. I mean, you, you rod and your staff. So this imagery is ingrained into Jewish culture, right? I mean, this is it. He, nowadays, we know a guy or know a guy who knows a guy who's a mechanic, right? Here, you, you knew a sheep herder, or you knew a guy who knew a guy. I mean... Right, this society uh, thrived off of this sort of a thing, and so uh, certainly with this sacrificial system, right? I mean, there, there were there were men everywhere that took care of sheep and oxen and so on and so forth. And so Jesus just coming out of chapter nine, where he heals this blind man. Earlier on, he John gives us, by the way, seven signs and seven or, or miracles, seven miracles and seven I am statements. Jesus telling us really that he's God. He's the eternal God, the sovereign God. And he's seven miracles. In fact, there's many more. Chapter 20, verse 31, Jesus says, uh, there, uh, John tells us that, that there's a ton more miracles. And in fact, I love what he says. He says that, that uh, there's not, there's, if, if all, if the books were written detailing all the miracles that, he, that Christ had done, he says there's not enough, the, the world isn't a big enough library, is basically what he's saying to contain. The, the glorious news of, of God's grace, uh, visibly seen in the works that Christ performed. So, in fact, we observe in the evidence of Christ we see, even in, in chapter 10, is looking at Christ's words and works. Words and works. Look at the Pharisees' words. Look at the Pharisees' words. And you can see who's a good shepherd, who's a true shepherd, who's a thief and a wolf. 
and who really cares for the flock. And so, so Jesus uh, has already healed this man at the pool of Bethsaida, a man who was lame for 38 years. That's a restorative act. Uh, and then in chapter 9, he, heal, he heals a man who was born blind. This is a creative act. So it wasn't, this man wasn't born with sight, lost sight, and then regained sight. This is a creative act. Jesus created sight where there was once blindness. And what he's communicating is what he does in salvation. That he creates spiritual sight where there, is only, where there was spiritual darkness. And this is because he has just, he's just laid out uh, an I am statement that he's the light of the world. And that those who follow him no longer walk in darkness. And then he shows uh, the reality of his words through his words by healing this blind man. The blind man himself, his parents actually are afraid of the Pharisees. Uh, and they say, well, ask, my, ask our son. He's old enough. He can speak for himself. Because anyone who claims some affiliation with Christ would be kicked out of the temple. And this man unashamedly professed Christ and resulted in him being kicked out of the temple. And then now Jesus begins talking about himself as a good shepherd. And so we're going to look uh, this morning at verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10. Um, that's where we'll find ourselves camping out there. Now, every night we read a book to the boys, some sort of storybook, and usually Kirsten's doing that, and then we'll read a, a Jesus storybook Bible, and then we'll do like this uh, Baptist, Baptist catechism kind of thing. So I'm trying to grow my kids in, uh, in Christ and sound doctrine. And so uh, the other week I had the privilege of reading the, uh, reading the storybook, and it was, a, it was a book about Batman. So I'm reading this. Boys, are, they love superheroes. Everybody's all about superheroes today. And Batman is describing in this book who he is. This is what Batman says. He says, I fight all crime and evil. I am a creature of the night. I am Batman. It's, it's right about that point I start using Batman's voice. <laughs> By the next time I got to the next I am statement about Batman, I'm already mumbling uh, the Batman show theme music. Batman, right? Gotham City need not fear, but its villains should be very afraid, for I am out to get them. I am the protector of the weak and helpless, the guardian of Gotham, the dark knight. I am Batman. The music now? <laughs> so I couldn't help but notice all the I am statements in this book, in my, my, my boy's book, this kid's book on Batman. I am statements tell us something about who is saying the I am statement. So if I said to you, I'm hungry, you're going to surmise three things. You're going to think, this guy's really an idiot uh, because we had a full-on breakfast out here. Uh, he's he, Okay, we, we know he's heavy. He must be aware he's heavy and he's on a diet. Uh, or something. So you're figuring something out based on what I've told you about myself. So I am statements reveal something about the person. And, and moreover, they welcome the listener into this relationship. So that when you when you share an I am statement, you're sharing something about yourself to communicate to your listener, to welcome them in uh, to a relationship with you. And so in our text this morning, Jesus makes us uh, gives us an I am statement. Like I said, there are seven in the Gospel of John, and Jesus's first self-revelatory statement comes in John chapter six, where Jesus says, "I am the bread of life." Jason mentioned that during uh, communion. Uh, in chapter eight, Jesus declares. That he's the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. And in our text this morning, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. It's pretty interesting. Jesus called himself a door. If I said to you, I'm a, I'm a door, you know, I'm a solid wood door. You think, boy, you got some problems. But this, we're going to find out this actually amazing. That Jesus says he's the door. All of his I am statements would have shocked his listeners. Every single one of them. Uh, and indeed, they certainly did. Every time Jesus made an I am statement, his listeners would have thought of God interacting with Moses, or rather, Moses interacting with God. When Moses was told by God to go back to the Israelites, go back to Egypt and lead the Israelites out, we're talking Exodus chapter uh, uh, 3, go back and lead them out. And Moses said to God, who should I tell him sent me? And really what Moses is saying, by what authority do I have to lead your people? Like, why should they listen to me? And here's Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, 
the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So when those listening to Jesus heard Jesus say, I am, they knew exactly what he was saying. He was calling himself God. And he, moreover, he was revealing some. He was revealing something about the nature of God, about the character of God, about the attributes and the holiness uh, of God. So let's read our text this morning. Let's hear Jesus reveal his divine nature, his divine power. And then just as I could hear the theme music of Batman, um, let's pray and ask God that we might hear his theme music, the theme of grace. John chapter 10, 7 through 10. Would you stand? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. So I'm reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. So Jesus, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, be seated. Let me pray. Pray for us. Join me as I pray. We'll ask God uh, to give us ears to hear this morning, to hear the theme of grace uh, woven all throughout Scripture. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word is living and active. Uh, we're not up here reading uh, um, a fictitious storybook, as I read to my boys, but we're reading the living word of God, that in it you reveal yourself, uh, Lord, as you've revealed yourself in, in all of creation so that man is without excuse. In general revelation, you reveal yourself specifically now, revealing uh, yourself to us in Christ, who came and clothed himself in flesh and who tabernacled, who dwelt with us and bore the penalty uh, uh, of our sin, bore your wrath uh, in his body, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And, and all of this made possible by grace, by grace through faith. And so this morning our desire is to delight in Jesus, is to uh, lift up the name of Jesus, is to magnify the name of Jesus, is to worship him, is to find our joy afresh and anew as we're reminded that there is a door that there is a way in which we can be in your presence, and that's Jesus. And so, Lord, I thank you for Resurrection City Church. I pray that you would be with Brian, church planner Brian Coble, as he preaches to my flock there today, that I pray that they would be encouraged and equipped, that your spirit would convict and bring conviction and repentance of sin where that is needed, that your people would champion the name of Christ, that they would, that they would live grace-filled lives going out into the Avondale neighborhood. I pray, Lord, for us this morning that as we hear your word, Lord, uh, that whatever sort of uh, legalism and morality and the things that uh, we think define the parameters of the Christian life, Lord, that, that you would break, break these things down, that the areas of our hearts, uh, the, the caverns and crevices of our heart where the gospel has yet to permeate, that the light of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ would shine in our hearts this morning, that you would mold us and that you would make us more so into the image of the firstborn that you would make us more like Jesus. Work in us this morning, Lord. We need you. So we ask that you give us ears to hear the words of life, that you give us eyes to see and behold the Holy One of God. We thank you, Lord, that we're not alone, that you saw us lost in sin like sheep without a shepherd, helpless and harassed, and you sent your son to do something, that his words line up with his works. And so work in us this morning, we pray, for your glory and the good of your people. For the name, uh, with everybody saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, everybody saying, Amen. So as we look at Christ's third I am statement this morning, we're going to focus our attention on three truths. I think we'll see three truths in this text. We're going to look at the door. We're going to look at those who enter the door. And we're going to look at the blessedness of entering the door. Does that make sense? The door. We're going to look at the door, those who enter the door, and the blessedness that comes from entering the door. So let's look at the door. What we've seen previously uh, in, in, well, we haven't been walking through this together, but let me just bring us up to speed here. What's happened already in John chapter 10 is that we see that Jesus is the true shepherd. 
Okay. That while he is the true shepherd, the world is actually full of wolves who wear shepherd's clothing. And we've all heard this of wolf in sheep's clothing, but you see there are actually wolves who wear shepherd's clothing. Right? You can turn on the television and there's many of them. They're wolves wearing shepherd's clothing. These are the Pharisees. And we can tell a false shepherd by looking at their motives and their methods. This is what was revealed in verses 1 through 5. Jesus refers to the Pharisees, these false shepherds, these wolves in shepherds clothing, clothing as thieves and robbers. We've heard this in verses 7 through 10. Jesus brings this up again as a theme, thieves and robbers. They try to sneak into the sheep pen. Jesus uses this metaphor. He's communicating something. Just think of the sheep pen as, as the world. Jesus says he actually enters into the sheep pen properly. The, the thief and the robber tries to get, get in a shady way. They're trying to harm the sheep. They're trying to climb over the fence. They're trying to go under the fence. They're trying to break through the fence. But he walks in. He walks in. Right? Everybody sees his works. Everybody sees his words. He speaks clearly. He, call, he goes in and he calls his sheep by name. His sheep. Not all the sheep. Only the sheep that are his. Now in the, in the time and the, the, the town and the context in which Jesus lived, there would be communal sheep pens where families would gather and corral their sheep in one sheep pen. And you have a guy that would work the gate. And as he saw a shepherd coming, he'd open the gate, and the shepherd would whistle or make a sound. He, by his voice and the inflection of his voice, his sheep would hear him, and they would follow him. Jesus says he knows his sheep, and he calls the sheep by name. That's absolutely beautiful. The fact that Jesus knows his sheep, already knows them, and he knows them by name. He calls them. They hear him. We can see the believer because the believer hears Christ, and the believer responds to Christ. Response to the word of God, the believer follows Jesus. Um, now, these wolves, these thieves and robbers, they try to enter in. Uh, um, their methods are corrupt and their motives are questionable. The meth their methods and motives revolve around personal gain and glory, not the good of God's people or the glory of God. And as Jesus says in Matthew, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He says you will recognize them by their fruits, so motives and methods. And then looking at Jesus' motives and methods, verses 1 through 5, Jesus enters the front gate. His actions are not deceitful, nor are they ever hidden. Uh, Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. That's Hebrews 12, 2. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. We discover that Jesus, yeah, he knows his sheep. He calls his sheep, and he leads his sheep. He actually goes before them. Unlike a shepherd nowadays that sends a sheepdog out or goes behind, Jesus leads his sheep. Now, we support a church. We want to put into the DNA of our church a missional understanding. So we support a church planner in Ireland, right? Uh, and God provided the financial means for me to go to Ireland last May. So several years ago, even as we we're, were just beginning to plant Resurrection City Church, I told Kirsten, I, I know it sounds crazy, uh, God put Ireland on my heart. I can't, you know, Christians are always talking about their heart. Either God burdened their heart or prick, pricked their heart or did something. Uh, for me, it was just a sharp prick. I, oh, man, I can't escape it. It's like it's like a heart, heart pain, a heart attack. Kirsten said, you're smoking dope. There's no way we're going to Ireland. So, okay, big, listen, listen, if God provides, all I'm saying is if God provides a financial means, can, you might, you think I could go to Ireland, try to discern what God's doing. Maybe he's going to have us plant there 20 years from now. Maybe we're to partner with the church planner there. Something like that. And she laughed and she said, yeah. You know, so she laughed. She was like uh, uh, Sarah laughing. Uh, when she heard God saying, you're going to have a, Abraham, you're going to have a kid. Uh, man, we're, we're just talking, this is years later, and I'm talking to a, a pastor in Chicago, and I said, hey, what do you think about Asin Street Community Church partnering with Resurrection City Church? Maybe in the area of missions, so we can send a team to Ireland, or, you know, just me. I was really just joking. I was about to say, all we need is $1,000, and my phone vibrated, and it was a text from another pastor saying, we're sending you $1,000. Right then and there. Okay. So we had to have this real talk, like our family needs $1,000. Uh, do we keep it, or do we? Here, here's how it went down, babe. Uh, and, and we said, okay, we're supposed to go to Ireland. So I was able to connect with this guy, Shane Dean. They're in a town of about 6,000. In the Republic, we have the Republic of Ireland, uh, and... Uh, who, who knows what you have in the north? It's not all one big country. Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland. So down here is predominantly Catholic. And 
they're in a town where I mean there's you can still see stuff representing the IRA, Irish Republican Army, all that kind of stuff. And well, I think we went to ten Bible studies and and and, and five games. Uh, and he just drove me around everywhere. Went to, but I loved it. I loved it. There were people there that were pleading with God, pleading. They were praying in a way I've never heard people pray, in little Bible studies and little farmhouses, walls built with cobblestone kind of deal, just praising God that they shared the gospel with one person, pleading with. I wanted to put a video on my phone and just like record it all, so that I could show my people. I mean, I. He apologized to me just the other week on the phone when I mentioned it. He said, man, I feel so bad because there's so many Bible studies. I said, well, listen, if I think that my salvation is based upon my righteousness, I'm doing pretty good. Like, I, I'm good on Bible studies for like a few years. But I said, no, it was such an encouragement to my soul. All right, just, just to come back refreshed and, and just, just to be with brothers and sisters in Christ who are pleading out to Jesus, recognizing that only he can save people because they live in the area where it's, if you say you're Baptist, man, you're, you might as well just say you're, you're a cultist. I mean, you're just wacky, right? Everything's run by the Catholic Church. And so all this to say, we drove through the we drove, he, we drove through this sort of mountainous area where all these boulders and sharp, jagged uh, uh, rocks. And he's driving on the right side, the wrong side of the car, the right side of the car. And so I, I had the pleasure of, for two, nearly two hours, looking at my certain death out the window. <laughs> like, this is not going to... Like, maybe we'll... Roll over that boulder, but the next one's going to rip the car in half. I mean, just sharp and jagged. And everywhere we looked, there were sheep. Everywhere we looked, there were sheep. I've never seen so many sheep in my life. I'm a city guy. We go to Lincoln Park Zoo, and I'm like, that one's a sheep, right? You know, trying to figure it out, <laughs> right? But they're spray painted uh, with a letter or a number. Some are red, some are blue. Uh, and so it was, you don't have to be a rocket science to figure out, okay, they're distinguishing between whose sheep is who, right? But one thing I never saw in an hour and a half and two hours as we drove through. Uh, and it was raining. And, I mean, it was really bad weather. It was raining and misty. It was perfect conditions for a tire to slip off this gravel road. And, yeah, I thought it's not the way I want to go. I'm ready, but not this way. Um, I never saw a shepherd. I never, never once saw a shepherd. Um, but Jesus, Jesus says uh, in 1 through 5, he says he goes before his flock. He knows his sheep. He calls his sheep by name. They hear his voice because he's given them by his spirit ears to hear, and then he leads them, and they follow. So get this. The call of Christ is powerful. It accomplishes all that Christ desires. His sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. He doesn't have to spray paint him to figure out what sheep is his. He knows. So all of humanity is in this great big sheep pen. And Jesus doesn't call out all of the sheep. He calls his own sheep out, those whom the Father's already given him, and Jesus isn't like this dodgeball team captain unsure who's going to pick next. Okay, that guy has a good arm. You're over here. He already knows. Acts 13, 48. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Jesus sees his sheep and he knows his sheep and he calls his sheep by name. I love that. Jesus leads his sheep. And verse 6 tells us that basically upon hearing everything through 1 through 5, they're confused. They're confused. Everybody listening to Jesus is confused. So, uh, verses 7 through 10, our portion this morning, expands upon the metaphors that Jesus has already unpacked, verses 1 through 5. It'd be wrong of us to think that 7 through 10 is explaining 1, one through 5. It's not Jesus is expanding upon what he's already said. Right? Verses 1 through 5, Jesus is the true shepherd. He calls his sheep out of the sheepfold by their name. In verses 7 through 10, Jesus is not entering the sheep pen, although the imagery is still there. Right, one through five, he enters in. This is a picture of entering into creation, entering into humanity, calling his sheep out. Here he's the door. He's the door. He's the door of the sheep. Instead of calling his sheep out from among sheep that are not his, he is the very means. He's the gate by which the sheep enter his fold. The fold being a picture of the kingdom of God. See how that's a bit different? It's very similar. Jesus is the door of the sheep. Notice that Jesus does not say, I am one of the doors. I am the southern door, the northern door, the eastern door. If you enter any door, you will be saved. You will go in and out and find pastors. That's not what he says at all. He says there's one door. One door to enter the kingdom of God. There is one way to God. There is one door, and that door is Jesus. Here Jesus is speaking actually about the exclusivity of the gospel. I always think of people saying, well, all roads lead to heaven. And I go, yeah, you're, you're right, actually. 
all of them but one lead to judgment. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So you're right, they'll all get you there. But all but one lead to judgment and wrath. Christ is the door. He says it like this in John 14, 6. I am the way. This is another I am statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what do we need to know about the door? There's one door. There's one way to be reconciled to God. All roads do not lead to God. It is the it is exactly the exclusive claims of Christ that actually cause people to hate Jesus and to hate his sheep. Where I'm at, uh, people don't, they want plurality. They, you know, we, we live in a, 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 a pluralistic society. Uh, and some might say, well, hey, yeah, Pastor Dave, we live in a pluralistic society. No one really cares if you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, but let me tell you what, friends, let me tell you what, saints, that is simply not true. It was just last month that uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, a man who nearly became president, attacked another man named Russell Vaught, uh, President Trump's nominee to be director of the White House Office of Management and Budget. Senator Sanders deemed Vaught unfit for office because he believes that the teachings of Jesus, that salvation is found in Christ alone. It is the exclusivity of the gospel that makes it unlike any other religion. Jesus is the door. He is the door. He is the only mediator between us and God, between man and God. Jesus makes it possible for us to be in the presence of God. He is the God-man. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom. This is possible because we know that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. And just as the blood of the Passover lamb, again, this imagery we've seen communion, above the doorpost of the Israelites delivered them from death in Egypt, it is the blood of the door by which men, women, and children may be saved from sin, Satan, and death. It's the blood of the door. In the Old Testament, there's the blood over the, over the doorpost, on the lintel. But here we see it's the blood of the door. The only way that you and I can be saved, the only way that we can inherit eternal life and enter into the fold the sheep pen, the kingdom of God, the household of God, and experience the grace of God is by coming through Jesus. Through Jesus. There's no opening anywhere else in the sheep pen. Like a rancher that has a bad fence on the back 40. He's forgotten to take care of a spot. The only way we can enter the kingdom of God is through Jesus. Jesus is the door. But notice this. There's a door. There's actually a door. What if there were no door? What if there were no door? Jesus doesn't say there is no door. He says, I am the door of the sheep. And again, that's verse 7. Again, in verse 9, he reiterates that. He says, I am the door. And this is something to praise God for. Can anybody praise God that there's actually a door to the sheep pen, to the kingdom of God? That we may enter into the safety of God's fold. It is in the fold of God that his sheep have freedom and joy. As Jesus says here in our text, to go in and out and find pasture. But friends, what if there was no door? What if God had not sent his one and only son to pay the penalty of our sin? What if Christ had, had come and rather than seeking obedience to the Father, walking into the sheep gate, uh, he walked in like a thief and a robber and he sought the kingdom of God for himself? What if he had never gone to the cross? What if instead he had bowed to Satan in the wilderness? What if he had sought to prove himself to Satan? We would know nothing of hope. We would not know God's grace. For it is in Christ and in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, through his atoning work, we are able to be invited through the door of grace into the kingdom of God. Listen to what the Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon says about the lack of a door. This is from a sermon entitled The Door preached on the Lord's Day evening, June 15, 1879. Pastor Spurgeon says, The house of mercy, I love that picture, the house of mercy without a door would have been a house of misery to us. Look at this picture, if your eye can perceive it. The city that lieth foursquare, that mighty city whose pinnacles tower on high so, on high so lofty, that the height is as great as the breadth, and the breadth is the same as the length. 
Her very foundations are of precious stones, and her twelve gates are priceless pearls. Can your eye gaze, even for a moment, on that brilliance that outshines the sun? Can you hear the sound of harpers harping their harps within that city whose streets are of pure gold? But suppose there was no door there, and that our spirits had to go flying with awful beating of weary wing round and round and round that solid wall, but never finding a gate where we could enter. What hope would there be for a soul shut out from the city of the perfect, the home of the blessed, because there was no door of entrance? Yet there would not have been any door if it had not been for Christ. Our sins, as it were, walled up God and shut him in and walled us up and shut us out. There would have been for us no going into God nor any coming out from God to us had it not been for Christ, the mediator, through whom we draw near to God because in him God has drawn near to us. See then the necessity for this door and blessed be his holy name. See how Christ meets this necessity. We needed a door by which we could come and be in the presence of the Father. And Jesus says, I am the door, the door of the sheep. We have a door. Praise God for his grace. We have a door. There is one way to God, and that is through Jesus, our mediator. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. Jesus is the door. He's the door. And praise God, we have a door. Now let's look at those who enter the door. Verses 8 through the beginning of verse 9. We'll call it 9a. As Jesus has previously said, previously said in verse 1, those who seek to harm God's sheep are wolves and shepherd's clothing. He calls them thieves and robbers. Again in verse 8, Jesus references thieves and robbers. Now Jesus states that all who came before him are thieves and robbers. Is Jesus here referring to the patriarchs? He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. I mean, is he calling Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a, a thief and a robber? Is he referring to the prophets? Is Moses, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, are they thieves and robbers? No, these men actually spoke as God led them. They were not thieves and robbers. They heard the voice of God. They spoke on behalf of God. Jesus is once again referring to false teachers like the Pharisees, like the scribes, like the Sadducees, and probably we think these false messianic figures that were already showing up in the time of Christ. While the contrast between a true shepherd and thieves and robbers continues, we're still seeing that contrast, now with the door and the thieves and robbers. So it was a true shepherd, thieves and robbers, now it's the door and thieves and robbers. So we still see these thieves and robbers, but now it's contrasted with the door. Jesus is not entering that sheep pen, as I've said, uh, through the front gate and calling his sheep out by name, but here he is the gate. He's the gate that allows entry into his kingdom. And what does Jesus say about those who enter into the gate? Enter through the door. Verse 9. I am the door. If, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone. I mean, that's hang your hat there for a moment. If anyone. Here, Jesus does not say that everyone may enter the gate. We know that Christ's sheep are those whom the Father in eternity past has given to the Son. Jesus calls them. They hear his voice. They follow him. John 6, 37, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And then again in chapter 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So it is those sheep that the Father has given the Son that will come to him. But notice this. Notice that Jesus says, if anyone. There's no sign above the door, as there was during Jim Crow era that says whites only or colored only. There's no sign above the door that reads you must be perfect or wealthy or only poor or morally pure. It does not matter what your nationality is. You need not be American. All races are welcome. Rich or poor are welcome. Good works and morality and wealth are what opens the door to salvation. Being born to a Christian family doesn't open up the gate of grace. It doesn't give you access to the house of mercy. Your parents can't open the gate of freedom. They couldn't open the gate themselves and they can't open it for you. And friends, you cannot open the door of the house of mercy. 
The door is open by grace. This is the sovereign work of God. We are called into the kingdom of glory. We are welcomed into the kingdom of glory, into the church and household of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls his sheep. This is the gracious gift of God. And Paul tells the believers in Ephesus, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So saints, know this. You didn't open the door. God's grace saved you. You didn't open the door of mercy. You have no reason. We have no reason to boast in and of ourselves. Our boasting is in Jesus. We didn't open the door of grace. And we cannot, though many try, keep it shut so that others cannot enter the door. Jesus says, if anyone enters, our place is not to barricade the door, to pride ourselves in our morality. We're freely to invite others to enter into the kingdom of God. Listen to the strong words Jesus has for the Pharisees, these thieves and robbers in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. It's not, we can't open the door. And it's not our job to block the door. Jesus says, if anyone enters. Just as some of us at my church, several weeks ago, we held the signs up saying free cookout, free prayer. That's what we do as a church. We simply advertise. We publicly and boldly invite people to experience the grace of God. That's our job, to receive the free gift of salvation, to cry out to the world, to cry out to our neighbors, our coworkers, and our friends, if anyone enters by Jesus. So you can't buy a ticket to get in. Being unsaved and putting money in an offering plate uh, can't get you in, right? The gift of God's grace is available to those who enter the gate, if anyone enters. But notice you must enter. Jesus declares if anyone enters. So the gate, the, it doesn't matter what, what nationality you are, it doesn't matter your, uh, uh, your, your financial well-being. Anybody can enter, but one must enter. One must respond to God's grace. One must respond to God's grace. Merely being near the door of mercy doesn't save you. Right? Getting close to the door doesn't save you. And there are people who come to church every Sunday who sit on the front pew and effectively will sit next to the door of the kingdom of God but yet never enter sitting on the front steps of the house of mercy, being close to the door, sitting on the front porch, knocking on the door, will not save you. Singing songs and giving tithe and speaking Christianese, taking communion, going to Bible study, does not open the door. And sadly, many people will spend eternity in hell because they spent their life looking at the door, but never entering through the door. We must respond to God's gracious gift. We must. The command of Christ is rise, take up your bed, and walk. You're called to respond. The first words of Jesus' ministry were repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Scripture is clear that we must believe and receive Christ. If anyone enters by me. What tragedy to work as a craftsman and to spend... Paul was telling me about how he did some work as a craftsman, right? With your in-laws. Right? Right? Yeah. What a tragedy to, to be this wonderful craftsman spending your entire life sanding the door, and painting the door, polishing the door, and placing plants beside the door, sitting in front of the door, or beside the door yourselves, watching your family, your spouse, and your children enter the door, but never entering the door yourself. We must repent and believe the gospel. question for you is, have, have you come to God in repentance? Have you responded to his gracious gift of salvation? He says, if anyone enters. Have you entered into the kingdom of God? Have you cried out to God, I'm a sinner, Lord, I need you. I deserve your wrath, save me. There's no way I can come to you apart from your grace. You've come to me, you've made a way, you've made a door. I can be in your presence because Christ takes me into it. He's the high priest that draws me into the Holy of Holies. I have nothing but sin to offer you. Sinful hands and a sinful heart. Oh Lord, thank you for Jesus who paid my sin and bore your wrath so that I might be set free and forgiven. Thank you for making this door 
a way to come and be with you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Friends, there's a door. Jesus is the door. I think if we're honest, a lot of us think that the door to the kingdom of God is like the security checkpoint at an airport, like at O'Hare Airport, right? Like you see those gray bins. Those gray bins scare me. Think those TSA agents have blue gloves on because they're going to pat you down? It's because they're touching those gray bins that have never been washed. And you're taking your belt off. You feel like you're getting undressed. You're like, you grew up modest? I grew up modest, man. I'm taking shoes off. I'm putting all my stuff in there, and I'm staring, ready to be waved through with a, by a TSA agent. But there's this door. I'm, I'm, I swear, I think I've done everything I can do, but yet an alarm's going to go off. I think many people think of the kingdom of God like that. In fact, I've prepared myself. I've shut off everything I need to shut off. I've done all the good works and I've done everything I can on mine. Or they might even say, yeah, okay, Jesus is the door. Now I have a way to the Father. And we've entered, we've passed through by grace into the kingdom of God. But we're still waiting for the alarm to go off. And you, over here. And we're going to get the pat down. That somehow a mistake has been made. And we've been let through, let into the kingdom of God through this door, through this, uh, through Christ, and a mistake has been made. I think if we're honest, a lot of us view the kingdom of God in such a way. Jesus calls his sheep. He calls the dirtiest of sheep, the ugliest of sheep. Anyone can receive his grace. They only need to receive it to enter, to believe upon the name of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The same grace that saves you is the same grace that sustains you. Right? Some of us have been walking with Christ for five years, ten years, or twenty years. We're still waiting for the alarm to go off. As if the door, or somehow we got through. We weren't supposed to get through. That We understand that grace got us through the door. Jesus made a door for us. But, but it's our works and our good efforts and our morality. It's anything but grace that keeps us in it. Jesus said, I did my part. Now you do your part. Otherwise the buzzer's going to go off. I'm going to boot you back out. You're going to have to get one of those great bins again and work harder. You're going to have to shave off some stuff and put it in. It is the grace of God that gives us a door. There is a door. It is the grace of God who calls people to enter into the door. It is the grace of God by which we enter and stay and remain in and live in the kingdom of God and enjoy the blessings and the benefit of being in the fold of God. Yeah, let's look at the blessedness that God grants those who enter through the door. To those who believe and receive Jesus, if anyone, if anyone enters. Verse 9b, Jesus says he gives freedom. I think freedom, forage, and food. I like those three F's. Freedom, forage, and food. Verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There's a picture of freedom here. There's a picture of freedom in Christ. There's a picture of joy here. But there's a picture of grace. Find pasture. When you trust Jesus, when he saves you, you are free. You don't have to be. You're not in the kingdom of God waiting for the TSA to, to set off an alarm. You can go in and out and find pasture. When you trust Jesus, when he saves you, you're free. Freedom, when you enter the gate, that is, Jesus delivers you. You're freed from sin. Sin no longer has rule or reign over you. You're freed from Satan and, and death because Jesus bore the Father's wrath on, on your behalf. Right? You don't walk into the kingdom of God and then he still looks at you, looks at you as he did before you entered through his son. Right? He knows his sheep. He calls his sheep. And he leads his sheep. So he invites you into the kingdom of God. You didn't get in there yourself. Don't forget that. Now that you're in the kingdom of God, he is leading and going before you. He gives you freedom and pasture. Instead of being an enemy of God, we're now adopted by God. And we're welcomed into his fold. We're no longer carrying the weight of sin and guilt and shame. We're given liberty in Christ to go in and out. The good shepherd now protects us. And even when we're in that valley, the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus, the door, our good shepherd is still with us. We don't enter into this big open space. We're just here in this big, great, big field. We got into the kingdom of God. That's great. You know? We entered into the walls of mercy. And we're now here alone. The great shepherd, Jesus, goes before us. He goes before us. He's present and with us. 
And now as we go, we are called, in fact, commanded to tell others that there is a door. And his name is Jesus, that there is salvation and no other name but in Jesus. Jesus grants us freedom. And all who enter will be saved and delivered from sin, Satan, and death. Why? Because Jesus rose. Because he bore sin on that cross. Moreover, the tomb was found empty. Right? He rose from the dead, defeating sin, Satan, and death. We have been given God's grace in Jesus, a gracious gift. And not only does he deliver us from his wrath, but God looks upon his sheep and he sees what his son has done. He looks upon us with favor. He looks upon us with goodness. Even when we fail, even when we falter, even when we fall on our face, we still experience the freedom of God, the freedom of his grace. We find forage. We find food. He provides us his daily bread. And we go in and out and we find pasture. What a beautiful picture of God's grace. That God's sheep have continued provision. That God saves us and he also sustains us. That we have a door and the door is Jesus. What if we didn't have one? But God made a way through his son. Look at this guy, no calling. That anyone can enter the door. Right? They only need to repent and receive the gift of God. The free gift of grace. And that as we enter, we experience grace. There's not a mistake that's been made. He called us by name. Right? Maybe maybe he meant to say Stevie, and he said Steve instead. He thought he heard, no. If you hear the voice of God, it's because he gave you ears to hear the words of life. If you see the Holy One of Christ, it's because he gave us eyes to see, like he did the man in John, John chapter 9, creating spiritual sight where there was once spiritual blindness and welcoming us into his marvelous light, that now we can enter into the kingdom of God in which we can go in and out and we can have pasture. We experience the grace of God, even in the midst of failure, in the midst of, uh, of doubt, in the midst of, of questioning our faith. There is, there is pasture for us to live out our faith and our God provides for us and loves us abundantly he loves his sheep. He protects us from the thief. He protects us from the robber. Satan, verse 10, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came. Jesus came that they, his sheep, may have life and have abundantly. We're at verse 10. And so Jesus is the door. And if anyone enters by him, he will be saved. Friends, are you standing in front of the door? I have to ask you. I have to ask you. Are you simply standing in front of the door and you have yet to enter? Maybe you've gone to church your entire life. Maybe, maybe you're near the door. You've sat in that front row. You've done everything you thought that God desired for you, uh, but yet you've never actually walked through the door. You've never received the grace of God. You've never confessed with your mouth and believed with your heart and entered into the pasture, entered into the grace of God, entered into the kingdom of God. We're all sinners, Scripture tells us. This is what we share in common. I don't have hair. You have hair. Right, so we, we, we've got a difference there. But what, what we all share is the fact that we're sinners by nature and choice. We're, we're born sinners. And this is the judgment that the light came and we love the darkness. That's, that's what the Gospel of John tells us. That's our relationship with darkness. It's not casual. It's not a dating relationship. We love darkness. Our sin has separated us from a holy and a sinless God, but he's made a way for us to be reconciled to be in his presence by coming to us. The son, the good shepherd, atoned on the cross for the sins of his bride, the church, his sheep. If you only but enter, enter through the door, repent and receive the free gift of God. Confess with your mouth as Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, believe in your heart that, and you shall be saved. I have to ask you, is there anyone here this morning who needs to confess aloud? I've gone through the motions. I've played the game. I've been close to the door. I've sat outside that door my entire life. I've watched family members enter through that door. My kids have entered through that door. But I myself have never entered the door. If there's anyone here this morning, would you cry out to Jesus? Thank you, Lord, for making the door. Thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I respond to your grace. Thank you for welcoming me into the door. Get rid of that picture of a security checkpoint. That's not it, man. You're, it's a great, it's a door of grace the house of mercy 
and that door is the Son of God, not a security checkpoint. It's the Son of God with open arms welcoming you to come in. It's not this big metal structure. Not this big scary thing. But it's the loving, it's the loving God. Nails pierced, nail pierced hands and feet, who welcomes you into the flock of God. Is there anyone who has yet to enter? Please enter this morning and receive the grace of God. If if you're a follower of Christ, if you're in that sheep pen, by no doing of your own, right? I'm still are you better baffled. Like how do that? Yeah, I, I'm I'm one of the sheep. Like you know, there's no way. I, you I, if you're God, you would have picked you. If you're like this, has to be grace. <laughs> oh Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that I'm one of your sheep. Uh, I'm I'm probably the black sheep. I'm the sheep always getting in trouble. I'm a sheep who leaves a 99 for and goes after the ones. But yet, Lord, you love me. Right? If, if God has saved you by his grace, that, that being no work of your own, you've entered the kingdom of God. What a great joy that we have. Have you thanked God that there's a door? Oh, thank you that there's... What if, like Spurgeon said, the city was... God had been walled up and we had been walled out. Like, flapping like angels, like flapping tirelessly, you know, endlessly around this wall around the kingdom of God, never entering. I would say to you this morning, praise God that he made a door. Praise God that the door isn't your works, the door isn't your morality, the door isn't your effort, that the door is God himself, the God-man, that we can enter into the kingdom of God because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And not only that, that we can have pasture. He encourages you, if you have this fear, and at some point, there's going to be an alarm going off like there is at the airport, and you're going to be the person that they pull over, and they're going to check for your bags, and they're going to pat you down, and put you in a machine that you're afraid you can see everything, and they're going to scan you. Like at some point, if this is your picture of God, and you got in, I want to tell you, that's not a picture, that's not, a, that's not the picture Scripture gives us of God. It's not a picture of grace. It's grace that welcomed, it's grace that sent Jesus himself, it's grace that brought Jesus to the cross. It's grace that, that creates a door. It's grace that is the door. It's grace that welcomes us in. And it's grace that sustains us. So celebrate this morning that in Jesus you can come in. You can go in and out and find pasture. That the grace of God will sustain you. And then I just urge you to tell others. Tell your neighbors. Tell your co-workers. Tell your parents. Tell your friends. There's a door. Let me tell you that there's a door. And I know you know I follow Jesus. But let me tell you something Jesus said that sounds really weird. He actually said he's a door. What a great conversation started. What? I knew you guys were wacky. No, it gets better. There's a door. But what if there wasn't a door? There is a door. And it's Jesus. So let's pray. Let's rejoice that there's a door. That Jesus is that door. And that he invites us to enter. If anyone enters, he will be saved. And let's rejoice in the fact that we can find pasture and experience the grace of God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for that, that the Gospel of John reveals the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. We thank you that all of those statements uh, reveal to us the divine nature of Jesus Christ. God eternal who clothed himself in flesh. And we thank you that Jesus says that he's the door. He's the gate to the sheep pen. And that Jesus knows his sheep, that Jesus calls his sheep, and that his sheep enter by him, through him, by the work that he accomplished on the cross, that as Martin Luther, the reformer, said, and that great exchange, that he bore our sin, and that his righteousness was placed upon us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That you, by your grace, made a way for us to enter into the kingdom of God, the house of mercy, through the door of grace, Jesus Christ. That as it was similar to the blood above the doorpost that saved the Israelites, it's the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. It's the blood of the door himself. The body and the blood of Christ that we celebrated this morning by which we're able to enter into the presence of God, our Creator. We thank you that anyone, if anyone, enters. So, Lord, give us courage to invite everyone we know. 
Because we want, we, want, we want others to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd calling them by name so that they might find peace and comfort and pasture. And Lord, let us rejoice, not thinking that somehow uh, we snuck through the radar, we snuck under the radar, we somehow got through and we really shouldn't be here. We know that we, when we think we really shouldn't be here, what we're really doing is, is we're, we're thinking about our works and our efforts and our goodness. The moment we think, I, 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 no, Lord, we, we know our condition before you, apart from Christ. But let us rejoice for the new identity and position you give us in Christ, that we're your sheep called by your name, and that you go before us and we find pasture, that we're known as your people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and that we are to go out to the world and share the good news that we have a gate, that that gate is Jesus Christ. And if anyone enters, they may be saved. We thank you for your grace on display in Jesus. It's his name that we pray. With all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.